So as Joe said, my name is Brent. If you're just visiting with us this morning, I'm on staff here at the church and uh, very happy that you're with us this morning. If it's your first time, I'm sorry that you get me, but you can come back next week. Uh, my family's coming off 12 days of sickness, which I termed Flulapalooza. And it was a rough go, and so I was scheduled to preach last Sunday, so Joe filled in for me on short notice, but if you've ever gone through a rough session of the flu with three small children and a pregnant wife, it's as close to the valley of the shadow of death that I've come, <clears throat> but the Lord brought us through, and so we've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. We're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount and the first section uh, that we know as the Beatitudes, and so I'll pray and we'll, we'll get going. Father, we just thank you for uh, being with us this morning in that powerful time of worship, uh, glorifying you and your great grace towards us, and uh, we just pray, Father, now that you would illuminate the scriptures to us. I pray that you'd give me the words to say uh, and receive those words as well. I pray that you'd uh, give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand the power of your word and your uh, relationship to us, Father. So we just pray that you would help us this morning, uh, that we'd all be receptive to what you want to say. Uh, we ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. So, we started the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew back in September, and uh, we kicked off with the genealogy of Jesus, and then since then, Joe and Gary have brought us through three very uh, significant uh, parts in Jesus' life, his birth and his baptism, and, and then a few weeks ago, Joe did the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, and now uh, we, got, we land at, at uh, Matthew chapter 5, and, um, and we'll see Jesus preaching his very first, well, his first recorded sermon and, uh, that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> so, it's up there, and we'll read through it, and then we'll come back, and we'll kind of go through it piece by piece, okay? So, Matthew 5, starting at chapter 1, or verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. <clears throat> so along with probably the 23rd Psalm and the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer, the Beatitudes are one of our more well-known passages of Scripture. Um, it's referenced all over the place, even outside Christianity. 
the police have sung about the Beatitudes. Simon and Garfunkel have sung about the Beatitudes. Even Jay-Z has sung about the Beatitudes. I had to look that one up. But um, Shakespeare has referenced them, and I even saw a shirt once that said, the meek may inherit the earth, but the saints are going to the Super Bowl. So, anyways, it's all over the place. So, seeing their popularity, um, we need to, to look at what are they and how we should read them. Are they just a nice list of ancient Proverbs? Are they some kind of New Testament Ten Commandments that we need to work really hard to follow? Or are they describing eight or nine different types of people, the meek and the poor in spirit and the peacemakers? Is that what they're doing? So the key to understanding them goes back to Joe's message a couple weeks ago uh, when he preached from um, the end of Matthew chapter 4 about Jesus beginning His earthly, earthly ministry. And His message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, it's in that aspect of repentance and looking at the kingdom of heaven uh, that we need to look at the Beatitudes. <clears throat> because you'll see uh, the very first Beatitude in chapter 3, or in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then if you jump back to the last one, verse 10, we'll call verse 11 part B of verse 10 because they're really quite similar. Uh, verse 10, the, the, uh, the benefit there for blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake is the same thing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you'll see in between, in between that theirs is the kingdom of heaven sandwich, all those other things in between are benefits of being in the kingdom. Um, being comforted, um, seeing God, being called the Son of God, they're all really the same thing in that they're benefits of being inside the kingdom of heaven. So we can see then that he's not talking about eight or nine different types of people, but he's talking about one person, a person who is in the kingdom of heaven, a person who has entered in. <clears throat> so if you look at Matthew 4, uh, verse 17 when Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and, and Matthew tells us that that's his message that he went about preaching, when we look at the Beatitudes, it's like we're clicking zoom on that phrase and zooming in uh, like 800% to see how that all plays out. Okay, So Matthew 4.17, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus sits down, Matthew 5 does his first sermon. It's like he's just blowing that up so we can see how that all plays out, okay? So that's the way that we need to approach the Beatitudes in light of the kingdom of heaven. And what's interesting about them is that there's a sequence to them, and the first four show us how to enter into the kingdom, and the last four show us life inside the kingdom, okay? So that's how we'll approach it this morning, and uh, we'll start going through these and seeing... Uh, what Jesus means by each, each one of the blesseds. Okay? Here we go. So, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this is the first characteristic of kingdom people. You can't go anywhere else without this. Entrance into the kingdom begins with the sense that you are poor in spirit. 
and right from the get-go, we can see Jesus going in an opposite way of what the world teaches us. His very first line of his very first recorded sermon is just going the opposite way of what the world says, because the world, everything you hear from the world is, believe in yourself, you've got what it takes, you can do it, shut out the negative thoughts, you're a winner, you're a champion, and Jesus starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, so you see we're going in different directions here. This is the the upside down kingdom, as we say, of, of Jesus. So, <clears throat> so when we look at the world, it's all about realizing your power, realizing your potential, uh, believing, declaring, opening your mind. Um, poor in spirit is nonsense. You need to be full in spirit. You need to realize how awesome you are, and the reason you've got problems in your life is because you haven't realized how awesome you are yet. That's the basic message. I spent some time on Oprah.com this week. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> but it just doesn't work, because if it did, there'd be no need to release a new book every year. There'd be no need to have the new seminar but they do. These guys are pumping out books every year because the last one didn't quite cut it and I've still got problems and I still feel uh, poor in spirit. I still feel empty and I need something to fulfill me. And so let's try the new book that he wrote and maybe that will work. And really, you're right back off where you started, but you're probably worse because now you have that hanging over you that that didn't work. Do you know what I mean? And you're out twenty-one fifty or whatever the book costs. So... So Jesus starts with the exact opposite, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you realize that your problems are beyond you, uh, that you can't solve them, that you don't have what it takes to change. And not only that, but he says, the person who realizes that is the person who's blessed. He's the fortunate person when he realizes that his problems are beyond him, they're spiritual problems that he is powerless to solve. <clears throat> That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And it's opposite to everything that we hear from motivational speakers and self-help guru type people. <clears throat> and this, this, this way of thinking of, of believing in yourself and uh, realizing your potential, it's so... Uh, rampant today that it's even worked its way into the church and you have books and you have pastors that say you were born to be a winner, you were born to be a champion, but Jesus comes with the exact opposite message in telling you that you weren't born a winner, that he was, he's the champion, and in him you're more than a conqueror, uh, not by yourself. <clears throat> so when we, when we bring that into our Christianity, what we do is we take a story like David and Goliath where David comes and he takes his five stones and he kills the giant and we say, boys, if I just had my five stones and with God's help I can slay this giant in front of me and solve all my problems. But that's not the point of the story of David and Goliath. The point of David and Goliath is not that you're David, but that Jesus is David. That's the beauty of the Gospel. It's not that you're going and finding your five stones and slaying the giant. It's that you're the Israelite soldier cowering in the tent because you're powerless 
to defeat the giant, and Jesus comes and kills the giant. That's the beauty of the Gospel. I got a little bit ahead of myself, but... So blessed are those who realize that their problems are beyond them. Um, But be careful of putting a certain experience on it. It might be that you've completely... Oof, that was close. It might be that you've completely hit rock bottom and that, you know, um, you may have messed up some relationships. You may have, you know, a lot of debt. There may be addictions. You may feel like you've shipwrecked your whole life. And Jesus says, blessed are you when in that state you realize that your problems are beyond you and more than anything else, your problems are spiritual and that you're powerless to solve them. But the exact opposite could be true as well. Your life could be going pretty good. Um, You could have a nice job, a nice family, nice car, nice house, nice two vacations a year, but still be poor in spirit. Still have the sense that you've got things that are too great for you, that your problems are spiritual, that you're powerless to solve them. And Jesus says, blessed are you when in that state you realize that you are poor in spirit. <clears throat> so the first, first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. We, we see our symptoms. We see that our problems are spiritual, that they're too big for us. But it's not enough just to know the symptoms. We need to know what the disease is as well. And if you want to turn to Mark 2.17... It ties in very well with these first two Beatitudes. And Jesus shows us what the disease is that we're looking at. We're feeling the symptoms with poor in spirit. And now, Mark 2.17. Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You see how that ties in with poor in spirit? He's saying when you realize that you're sick, those are the people that I've come to help. Okay? And then look, look at the next line. So those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's the link between these first two Beatitudes is that Jesus tells us that we're sick and then He shows us the disease, which is sin. And so you look back, Matthew 5, verse 4, with the second Beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Ephesians 2.1 tells us that before we come to Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus says, Blessed are you when you see that you're dead in your sin and you mourn at your own funeral. You're mourning over your sin in verse 4. So you realize that you've got an emptiness, that you've got a problem that's too big for you, and then you realize as well that you call it for what it is and that it's sin. It's not low self-esteem. It's not bad habits. It's not poor life choices. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your teacher's fault. It's not your friend's fault. It's sin. <clears throat> and sin as it, at its most basic form is doing your own thing. It's the attitude that I just want to live my own life the way I want to live it. 
And you don't have to look very deep in your own heart or very long into our culture to see that attitude. I just want to live my own life. Frank Sinatra singing, I did it my way. Um, Bon Jovi yelling, it's my life. It doesn't take very long to look. Even Friday morning, I was working on this at the kitchen table, and the, the kids were watching Harry and his bucket full of dinosaurs. Maybe you know that, maybe you don't. It's okay if you don't. But it's just a crazy cartoon where a kid has these toy dinosaurs and they jump in a bucket and they go to Dino World and anyways. But I'm there writing on the sermon and I'm actually right at this part and Harry is on the TV and Harry wanted to take the dog for a walk in the park and his mom told him no. And so he goes out in the yard with his magical toy dinosaurs that talk and he's kind of bummed out and one of the dinosaurs comes up And he's just like the serpent on the ear of Eve. And he says, well, your mom didn't say we couldn't take the the dog to Dino World for a walk. And Harry's eyes get big and he says, yeah, I can do whatever I want in Dino World. And that's a kid's cartoon. So it's everywhere. I want to do what I want to do and nobody can tell me different. You're not the boss of me. I don't have a boss in Dino World. <clears throat> the crazy part is, is that we live like we're in Dino World. And we see the results every day with pain and murder and corruption and all the things. We see the effects of that attitude. And I don't know how you can have children and not see this problem that we have as sin, because I see it every day. I have three precious, beautiful children, but in the depths of their heart is the attitude that I want to do things my way, and you can't tell me what to do. So I grab my not-yet-two-year-old daughter's hand, and she pulls it away and says, my do it, and then tries to run in the parking lot by herself. That's the attitude. And we do the same thing. And, it, and you can be the best parent that you can be and you can hug them and you can encourage them and you can read Happiest Baby in the Block till the book is falling apart and they will still do it. They will still pull their hand away and yell, my do it, and try to run away. And sin is that same attitude that God reaches for our hand and we pull it away and yell, my do it, and then run off into traffic. So blessed are those who mourn over the fact that they are dead in sin. Blessed are those who call their problem for what it is, that it is sin. And from here, we can go in two directions. We can see our sin and it irritates us. I can't please God, but I ought to. So I kick myself and beat myself up and I feel bad and I'm angry at the world. Or we can take the root of verse 5, the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We humble ourselves before God. The difference here in these two roads is on one road, I'm sorry for myself, and I'm sorry for my sin and the messes that it's got me in in my life. And on the other road, I'm sorry that my sin has pained God who has given me life 
and so many graces that I do not deserve. One road is full of pride and brings me to say things like, well, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. But when you go down the other road of blessed are the meek, you don't have that self-pity because even as you repent of the sin, you take your eyes off yourself and you look to God. Even as you repent, you're not even looking at yourself. And this is what Paul means in 2 Corinthians 7.10 where he says that there's a repentance that leads to life and there's a repentance that leads to death. And lots of people see that they have a problem. Some people even will call it sin, but they don't humble themselves. They don't cry out with David and say, against you and you alone have I sinned. What I've really done wrong is hurt you, God. And God says in the book of Isaiah that He dwells in two places and only two places, in the high and holy place and in the heart of the humble. So if you've seen sin in your life, but you're not willing to humble yourself before God, if you're not willing to take the path of the meek, then just let that verse sink in, that He dwells in two places, in the high and the holy place, and in the heart of the humble. So we see our problems are beyond us. We see them for what they are, that they're sin. We've chosen to humble ourselves before God instead of wallow in self-pity. And we want to turn from sin. And where do we turn? We turn from our sin. We turn from our selfishness. And verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And the righteousness here that Matthew or that Jesus is talking about is a righteousness that's outside of yourself. It's a righteousness that you don't have. That's why you're hungering for it because you don't have it. And so you admit, you get to a place where you admit that you need an outside righteousness. And you begin in hungering and thirsting for something to provide that righteousness, to provide that right standing before God because you've seen your sin for what it is and you see that that's come between you and God. It's come between that relationship and you don't have right standing with Him. And so you're hungering and thirsting to be accepted, to have right standing with God. And in one of Jesus' most beautiful statements, He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. For they shall be satisfied. It's beautiful because it doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and do this and they shall be satisfied. It just says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. As Tim Keller puts it, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. So, it might be helpful to picture in verse 6, we have that comma right after righteousness. <clears throat> we have the comma right after righteousness. Just picture that comma as the hinge of the Beatitudes. Okay, So our first three and a half Beatitudes, there's an emptiness there. We're poor in spirit. We're mourning. We're meek. There's an emptiness there. And we're hungering and thirsting. And now this hinges on this comma and we have a filling. Okay? 
<clears throat> and it's really the turning point of the Beatitudes. <clears throat> and our hunger and our thirst for righteousness is filled by Jesus Himself. If you want to turn over to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 is one of the most precious verses in the Bible. It says, For our sake He made Him, that's Jesus, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. <clears throat> and what freedom now in the fact that I have someone with perfect righteousness, with perfect standing before God, who has, through His death on the cross, become my righteousness for me. I could feel it. I was hungering and thirsting for a right standing with God, but I knew that because I was poor in spirit, because I was, uh, because I was uh, sinful, that I didn't have that right standing. I didn't have that righteousness, and I needed an outside righteousness, and Jesus provides it. That's all that we sang about this morning. That there's a righteousness outside of us that we need, that we need. And Jesus provides it. That He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him, in Jesus, we might have the righteousness of God. So now, we have a God who has immeasurable, unconditional love for us, accepts us fully to the point that even though we were so far off, in, in the first few Beatitudes, we're far off, but now... Because of Jesus' death, Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we have been brought into the kingdom by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the hinge point of the Beatitudes. It's the essence of those that are in the kingdom. And if you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if you're not hungering and thirsting for a right standing before God, you're probably not even in the kingdom. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. <clears throat> and just on a side note, notice that it doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessedness. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And a lot, a lot of people in Christianity hunger and thirst to be blessed by God instead of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. C.S. Lewis said, aim for heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim for earth and you'll get neither. <clears throat> so if you've entered the kingdom through the first four Beatitudes, you now see these last four Beatitudes as Jesus summing up this completely different life inside the kingdom. And we'll look at those now. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So people in the kingdom are merciful. They forgive 
no matter what the wrong is, because they have experienced the forgiveness of God in their own lives for the incredible wrongs that they have done to Him. And they're willing to bear someone else's burden no matter what it might cost them because they felt their burden being carried by Jesus. So when someone says, well, I can't afford to help that person, what they mean, what they mean is I'm not willing to take on some of that person's burden on my life because if I do, I won't be able to do what I want to do. So this person needs 20 bucks. I can't give them 20 bucks because then I won't be able to go out to dinner tonight. Do you see that? Because there's always a cost associated with mercy. And hopefully you see that on the cross. That there is a great cost there. There's always a cost associated with mercy. But a Christian sees that and he says, okay, I will take that burden or at least some of it on me from you and put it on me because I've seen the great burden that Jesus has carried for me. People in the kingdom are merciful people. But you can only do it if you've already come through the first four Beatitudes. If you just open up and just read Matthew 5, um, 7 and just take it, take it out, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. It's just You've just put on a new law over top of you where you say, I've got to be merciful or God's not going to show me mercy. Okay, And you work really hard and you help out here and you help out there because you need to be merciful for God to show you mercy. That's the importance of looking at the whole uh, Beatitudes. <clears throat> if you really believe that God has shown you immeasurable mercy on the cross, that through Jesus you have experienced forgiveness at a great cost to Him, then why hang on to unforgiveness? Why are we not willing to take on someone's burden just because it might upset our day? If we're not merciful people, then we need to look longer at the cross of Jesus Christ and see the mercy that He's poured out for us. I've got a great example of this in my own life with my father-in-law, who is a very merciful person. And he's willing to take on burdens from other people. He's willing to shoulder other people's loads to help people out of jams, to give assistance to those in need, even if it's at a great cost to himself. <clears throat> he helps out others even if it's costly and even if it's inconvenient. Even if he's got projects to do at his house, he'll come up and help me with projects if I need to get them done. <clears throat> because he's a merciful person. And it's not because he was born that way. It's not because of his personality. It's because he's seen and he's felt the mercy poured out for him on the cross of Jesus Christ, and he transfers it. <clears throat> he gets it. Blessed are the merciful. <clears throat> People in the kingdom, their relationships with everyone around them are changing. Blessed are the merciful. Their relationships are changing. And not only our relationships are changing, but our motives are changing as well. Verse 8, <clears throat> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
So when we come into the kingdom, our hearts have been changed. Our hearts have just... They have, Jesus just doesn't improve life. He transforms it. <clears throat> it's not just something you add on to improve your life. It's a transformation of your life. The kingdom is a completely different life. And you can, you can read books and you can go to counselors and you can go to psychiatrists and they can help you see your problems, but they can't change your heart. Jesus can change your heart. It's like, I'm not saying those things are bad. They, they can be very helpful. But it's like if, you're, if your heart is like a thorny bush, you can do that and you can get counseling and you can, get, you can see a, a psychologist and all that. And it's like digging around that bush and showing you all the roots. Because he can show you all your problems, but only Jesus can rip that bush up and plant a garden. Do you see the difference there? <clears throat> It's not just that you're now a nice person, it's that you're now a new person. Blessed are the pure in heart. Pure in heart means that your heart is single. When you have a ring of pure gold, it means that there's nothing else in there except gold. So your heart is now single. This is what Jesus means when He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not with part of your heart. Not with a divided heart. There's no double-mindedness. There's no divided allegiance. It's singular. David prays out in Psalm 86.11, Unite my heart, O God, to fear Your name. And people in the kingdom have hearts that have been changed. They have motives that are changed. Their hearts are no longer placing other passions in place of God. But they're saying with David, unite my heart to fear your name. Their single passion now is to see God glorified. Their single passion before may have been accumulating a lot of money. It may have been uh, pursuit of pleasure. It may have been sports. It may have been something else. It may have been family. But now the single passion in the depths of their heart is to see God glorified above everything else. And so our relationships are changed. Our motives of our heart are changed. And we see next that the mission of our life has changed as well because people who are in the kingdom have experienced the peace that comes from being in the kingdom and they now look to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Isaiah 9 refers to Jesus as our Prince of Peace. And now, coming in under His reign, we seek to emulate the King that's above us. And He's a King of Peace. If we just go, I'm just going to flip back to Isaiah 52. And I'm just going to read a little section there. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 7. It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm. 
before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And so the watchmen of the kingdom, they go about publishing, proclaiming peace, showing people that their God reigns, their King reigns, until the message of peace is declared to all the ends of the earth. This is the peacemaker. His thinking is so focused on the Gospel and on the Kingdom that he goes out of his way to produce peace with those around him. He doesn't stir things up. He doesn't create tension. He's not argumentative. Instead, he's approachable. He's lovable. And he's always looking to diffuse peace wherever he goes in his actions and his words in order that those around him might see the peace that he has and show them the way into the kingdom. Their mission in life has changed. And the last one shows us that our values have changed as well. Kingdom people's values have changed. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus ends by, well, he ends this little section by saying that because your hearts, your relationships, your mission in life has changed, because of this new kingdom life, there will be persecution. But for for those same reasons, you will be able to endure that persecution and not only endure, but rejoice and be glad. Because your values have changed. Those in the kingdom whose hearts have been changed, who have felt the mercy and love and joy and peace of their king, now value him above all else, even above their own health, their own comfort, their own safety, and their own reputation. They are able to say, like Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My flesh and my heart may fail, but I value God above all that because He is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So this is Jesus' intro into the Sermon on the Mount. These are the Beatitudes. He's showing us this kingdom that He is setting up. Jesus talks about the kingdom far more than we do. And so now, the question would be, where do you fit in? Have you seen the poverty of your spirit? Have you called it for what it is, that sin? Have you humbled yourself before God and hungered and thirst for righteousness and experienced the filling of that righteousness? And for those of us who have been in the kingdom even for a little while, and some of us for quite some time, we need to look at Jesus' words and ask if we've been merciful to those around us like our Savior has been merciful to us. 
and if our heart has been united to see God glorified above everything else, and if we're seeking to spread that peace to those around us, if we're looking to be a peacemaker, that we're not being selfish with the peace that we're feeling, but we're diffusing peace wherever we go. And if now that we value Christ above everything else, even above our health and our comfort and our reputations, that we can not only endure persecution, but in the midst of persecution, because we value Christ and we value an eternity with Him, because we place that at such a high value, we can not only endure persecution, but we rejoice because we see what's ahead. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Beatitudes. We thank You for the kingdom that You established. And we just pray, Father, that You would... uh, guide those who have yet to enter the kingdom into the kingdom, Father. And just pray that this Word uh, would, would stay in our hearts, that we wouldn't uh, see ourselves in the mirror and walk away and forget what we look like. But we just pray, Father, that Your Spirit would work and we thank You for the power of Your Word. We thank You that You take that burden from us, that we don't have to work to be righteous. We don't have to work to find something within us, some great potential, some great... Uh, self-reliance on ourselves, but You provide it, Father. We thank You that we don't have to kill the giant, but that You come and kill the giant by Your great grace and Your great power. And we thank You and we praise You for that. In the name of Your Son, Amen.